One of the, uh, <clears throat> the questions I get asked uh, a lot uh, when I do traveling ministries, I go out and you know, speak at conferences or something like that. Um, very often I talk about the sorts of ministries that uh, we've done at Blue Water and the things that uh, I share stories. And, and the number one question I get in return is, well, what, what, what have you seen? You know, have you seen uh, such and such a thing healed? You know, have you, uh, has the Lord ever spoken to you about that? You know, um, and uh, an unfailingly, it seems to me, at this point in my life, at this point in our community, I have stories to tell. There are very few things, there are very few things that you read about in scripture that I have not seen in life. Um, I have... Uh, seen healing of just about every sort of condition uh, you could name. We've seen uh, deaf ears opened. I've seen paralyzed limbs restored, um, you know, cancer disappear, uh, spines straightened, all of that stuff. Healing-wise, about the only thing I personally have not seen is uh, blind eyes healed uh, in front of me, although I've met some people whose eyes have been healed. Um, um, you know, we got stories about uh, deliverance ministry and people have been cured of uh, the most heinous sorts of conditions or mental tortures uh, through the casting out of demons. Uh, I have seen uh, people come to Jesus in just a tremendous variety of situations, you know, certainly in church, on the street, in foreign countries, in cities, in the middle of jungles in Southeast Asia. We've seen people accept the truth of Jesus and encounter the Holy Spirit in a, a very direct way. We've seen the Holy Spirit fall upon people and, and convict them of sin or convict them of the potential for restoration and salvation. Uh, we've seen all sorts of supernatural manifestations at this point. Uh, and I know that a lot of you have uh, as well. I have seen so many different things in the kingdom of God. I have seen the power of God bring about such a grand variety of manifestations. I have seen people be restored in their life from so many conditions and to experience spiritual conversion in so many ways and in so many different places that the only question I'm left with at this point is, why don't I see it all the time? Because I, I am convinced through scripture, through testimonies I hear, and through my own experiences now, through the experiences that I know that many of you have had, that it's all more than possible, right? We, we have seen it. It's, it is done today. All the stuff that we read about in scripture is certainly done today, right? Can I get an amen for those of you who've been hanging around and seeing what the Lord does? And so that's tremendously encouraging and on the same token, often tremendously frustrating because when I want to see it done more frequently, where is it? You know, why don't we always get the breakthrough? Why don't we always get the fruitfulness? Or borrowing from the theme that we spoke about last week, if the harvest is that ripe, right, if the potential is that great at all times, well then why am I not seeing constant fruitfulness and constant harvest. Why are we not seeing constant fruitfulness, at least a high frequency of fruitfulness and harvest at Blue Water Mission? That, that's the question that gives me headaches. 
That's the one uh, that, that drives me to prayer. You understand? Are you with me? All right. If it's possible, then why, why don't we see it uh, all the time? Um, I, uh, I put some uh, scriptures uh, in your program today. The scriptures that we'll talk about in the sermon, they'll be up on the, uh, the big board as well. Or you can follow along in your Bibles if you are very fast. From John chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Which I think is just a powerful verse in a lot of ways. Rivers of living water. Living water is a scriptural theme. We see it in some of the prophetic books. The living water that flows from the temple uh, heals the nations, brings restoration to whoever drinks of it. And Jesus is speaking to believers and he's saying, that living water, now that you walk with the Spirit, flows from within you. How much? Rivers. Torrential amounts of this healing living water flows uh, from within you. And it's not only me saying it. Jesus points out scriptures have said the same thing. He's borrowing on prophecies. That sounds pretty grand right there. From Mark uh, chapter 4, Jesus is kind of wrapping up uh, one of his most famous parables. His teaching on the parable of the sower. He says uh, in analogy to what kingdom life should be like. He says, the farmer sows the word. You go out there and we spread the message of Jesus. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. All of those are bad situations. You don't want to be bad soil like that. You don't want to receive it with joy and then fade away when the pressure comes. No, you want to be good soil. And here it comes. Others like seed sowed on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. How many of you have heard the message? How many of you have heard the word? How many of you have accepted the word, the good news about God? How many of you feel like you have produced a hundred times over in your life? That your life has translated into a hundred renewed and restored lives on the earth? And Jesus says that's how it is with with good soil. We should be over the top fruitful in life. And apparently this is just the normal expectation. 30, 60, a hundred fold. For Mark chapter 16, these are some of the final words that that Jesus is leaving the disciples with before he takes off and leaves the the ministry on earth to us. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Who Who will the signs accompany? Those who believe. 
In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. According to Jesus, this is normal kingdom life. Anyone who believes, this is, this is what their life will be characterized by. Uh, they will do great miracles, they will be impervious uh, to worldly snares and destructions, they'll just be this unstoppable force, they will cover the entire globe, and not, not just, you know, humans, they will preach to all creation, for you dog lovers out there. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs and wonders that accompanied it. And thus begins, you know, the book of Acts, the accounts of the early church, where indeed these handful of uneducated uh, backwater uh, fishermen went out and changed the world because of the tremendous miracles that they did and the, and the fruitfulness uh, that, that they had. This apparently, these descriptions are apparently characterizations of, of what normal kingdom life should be like. And I find that all tremendously uh, encouraging. There should be great gathering of a world-changing nature. There should be steady miracles. We should be able to burst through all manner uh, of boundaries. Um, there are certainly other passages that we could read, uh, and some from the Old Testament uh, that say the same thing. Normal kingdom life is, to, is supposed to be quite something. And I want a life like this. How about you? I would like, I would like for this to be more or less normal. Um, you know, may, maybe... Maybe one evening a week off, but this sounds like a worthwhile uh, way to live. And indeed, I find it very encouraging uh, that, uh, that such is accessible to us. But again, why don't I have fruitfulness at this measure is my question. I've had some, enough to know that this is actually possible. But I don't feel like I'm over here, you know. I don't feel like I'm walking in a way uh, in which this is, is just normal, that the harvest is this plentiful manifest uh, in, in my life. So, what's the problem? What's the problem? I ask myself that question all the time. All right, I mean, I'm thankful for what we've had, but what's the problem? Why is it not more? And there could be two sorts of reasons, I think. Uh, one, maybe there's some missing ingredient. There's something that, that we've missed. Um, some sort of fuel that we still lack. Possible. Or there could be something in the way. If we are filled with living water, that sort of prophetically declared living water, supernatural power that Jesus talks about, if we're filled with it and it's not coming out, with tremendous fruitfulness, then maybe something has gotten in the way. Something is, is choking off the flow or keeping us from releasing it or, or something uh, like, like that. Uh, the, either the power's not getting in <laughs> or the power's not getting out. 
it, it's got to be uh, one of those two things, uh, generally speaking. And at this point in my life and in our life together, uh, I, tend, I tend to think it's the second sort of thing. Uh, I think that, that as empowerment goes, we have been uh, rather tremendously empowered. We have been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us have had profound encounters uh, with the Holy Spirit. And indeed, we have seen some evidences of the power that resides in us as individuals and in us as, as a community. So I conclude that the only problem is that we're not releasing it well enough. Um, the only problem in my life, evidently, is that I'm just not releasing it uh, well, enough, well enough. Uh, living waters within us, yeah, check. I, I, I think we have that. Uh, we have seen enough lives restored. We have such tremendous testimonies uh, in this church. I think we've got that one. Uh, filled with the Spirit, uh, with power to change the world, yeah, check. I think we've got that one. Uh, have we accepted the message? Yes, we have done that uh, with great joy uh, oftentimes. So if we're not seeing an outpouring, it must be that something's getting in the way. Something is narrowing our gauge a little bit. Uh, at the very least, that makes for a fruitful meditation uh, in my life. And I would like to spend a few weeks at Blue Water just sort of meditating on things that might get in the way and keep us from the sort of fruitfulness, the sort of outpouring that is supposed to be normal for those of us uh, who believe. Uh, I am at a point uh, in life, uh, again, where I just feel like I, I can't let anything get in the way. I mean, if, if there's something in the way, I will claw at it until my fingernails bleed. We'll just get, get that sucker out because I want normal kingdom life. I want to be normal. I aspire to normalcy in, in the kingdom way. I think, again, it's starting to come. We've seen uh, some evidences of great kingdom outpouring at Blue Water. But more, Lord. Who can join me in that prayer? More, Lord. We got a mini standing O. For those of you who are at the retreat, how about a more, Lord, standing O? Impromptu. Yeah. Wave for Jesus. We practiced that at the worship retreat, in case you were wondering. Also, I like to be interrupted with standing ovations during my sermon. It just never happens, so. A few things, <clears throat> as I think about it, I've discussed it with the Lord, that can get in the way. Sorts of things that can get in the way, that can constrict the flow of outpouring in our lives, um, just for our meditation. I'll, list, I'll just list some of them, and then we'll focus on one of them this morning. Uh, one, I think uh, one of the things that can constrict the flow of living water in our lives with God is if we get offended by God. Anybody ever been offended by God? Anybody ever found God to be offensive? Six of you. Plus me. Make seven. Uh, I think disappointment in life can be a big shutdown, and often one that we uh, have trouble getting over. Anybody ever been disappointed in a way that has shut you down a little bit? All right, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, I think fear is a huge one. 
fear of failure, fear of pain, fear of disappointment and frustration. Anybody ever struggle with fear? Yeah, fear is the opposite of faith. And so if uh, fear gets into your life, it can be a big boulder that blocks the flow of the stream uh, of living in water. Uh, there's this thing called sin. Sin, I know that applies to just a few of you. Uh, but sin becomes a real blockage to the outpouring of God's power and life in you if, uh, if you prefer it, if you prefer sin to the things of God, whether you're driven to it by pain or by a need of comfort or by simple addiction, sin needs to get out of the way. Pride, which is a particular sort of sin, but one that characterizes uh, the human condition. Pride is when you have a need to be, uh, a need to be big instead of a freedom to be lowly before the Lord. Unbelief, I think, is a big blocker. Unbelief, which can, which can be rooted in all sorts of things, but I think it becomes a very big block in our lives when we uh, adopt or accept the habit of unbelief. It's just a little safer to be cynical than to be aggressively faith-filled and expectant. Uh, and so the habit of unbelief very often looks like, you know, cynicism or darkness like that. I've experienced all of these things uh, in my life, and I worked very hard uh, to get rid of all of these things in my life at one point or another. So um, I offer them to you for some meditation. And today, what I'd like to talk about for uh, the next 10 minutes or so is getting offended by God and what a problem that can be for us and how it can constrict the flow of the normal kingdom in your life. Ready? How many of you are already a little bit offended by me? Um, offended by God. You're offended by someone when they do something that you find unacceptable. That is the occasion for offense. So when God does something that you find unacceptable, it creates trouble in your relationship with God. It creates trouble in your faith relationship. It causes you to find him untrustworthy. And when you find God untrustworthy, all sorts of reductions ensue. You will perhaps trust him with some things, but you will hold out on him in other ways. Which is pretty much how you would behave with a human, right? If somebody offended you deeply by something they did, you would, you would not trust that person, at least with certain things, right? There would be a reduction in your faith relationship with that person. Um, exactly what kind of trouble offense causes in your relationship with God depends. It depends on the circumstances, the things that offended you. <clears throat> um, and we'll talk about uh, some, of, some of the ways that it might be causing you trouble. Now, God is God, which means that he is a higher being. His ways are higher than our ways. His way of understanding and doing things probably a bit more, shall we say, advanced than our ways of doing things. That's why he's God. He's different, right? He's, he's a little bit higher. So it's very probable that God will occasionally do things that we don't understand, so the trick 
is, when God does something you don't understand, do not get offended by that thing. God does something you don't understand, do not decide that what God has done is unacceptable because you don't understand it. There needs to be this element in our relationship with a God whereby we understand he's going to do stuff we don't get because we just don't have the brain capacity, we don't have the soul capacity at this point, <clears throat> whatever it is. <coughs> when uh, we get offended, when we reject what God does, if we get angry at him, sometimes we blame him for doing wrong, all that creates uh, an issue. Occasions for getting offended by God. You can get offended by God when he <clears throat> does something that seems bad. It's pretty generally speaking. God does something that seems bad to you. Uh, so he allows or perhaps causes, thank you, some sort of evil in the world. This is often a barrier of people accepting God in the first place. There's too much suffering in the world. If there is a God in the universe, he would not allow these things. Uh, therefore, no, I will not trust him. I will not even believe in him. That's a big one. Uh, the problem of suffering, theologians call it. So the problem of suffering can be a distant abstraction for you. Yes, there is suffering in the world, and I must wrestle with that as I come to faith. Or it can be very personal to you, right? Somebody I love is suffering, and I find that, here it is, unacceptable. Or, more selfishly, I am suffering. Something painful has happened in my life, and I find it unacceptable. My response, I get offended by God. I get offended by God. Uh, so that can happen. Alternately, you can get offended by God if he does something good for someone who does not deserve it. More specifically, someone who is not you. That can be very offensive, right? So you're a good person. You're working hard in life. You're serving Jesus. You have every right to expect blessing to flow. But God misses. Instead of pouring it on you, he pours it on the person next to you. And that person is, let's face it, inferior. Is not as good as you are. Does not work as hard. Has not overcome so many difficulties in life. And it seems rather arbitrary and we don't understand that. We find it, say the word, unacceptable. You have to do this. Unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Parents, you know this one. It's unacceptable. Uh, and, and we get, accept, we get uh, offended when that happens. So the Pharisees in the Gospels, the Gospel accounts, they're, they're all about this, right? Jesus blesses people all the time. He gives them miracles. He gives them miraculous provision. He does nice things for them. He accepts them. He shows them affection. And what was wrong with that scenario? Jesus did it to the wrong people, right? He always did it to the sinful people. And the Pharisees, who get a lot of bad press, the Pharisees were essentially a revival movement in their society. They were dedicated to restoring Israel by being very serious about the precepts of God. They worked very hard, and they did bring some national transformation to their country. 
but they worked very hard at righteousness. And then when this yokel comes along, this Jesus of Nazareth, and he starts doing these amazing godly things for people who weren't working hard at all, in, in some cases people who had given their lives over to sinfulness and, and you know, pathetic living, it just did not commute, compute in their heads, and they found it unacceptable, and they got terribly offended and killed him. Um, the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, right, the father gives the son half the inheritance, and the wayward son squanders the inheritance, goes off and enjoys loose living for a while, and then comes home. And then the father takes what remains and just lavishes it on the son who returns, throws him a big party and stuff like that. And then there's the older son. He's the guy that I identify with in the parable. He's been there the whole time, being faithful to the father, serving on the farm, doing everything right, <coughs> and has never gotten a big party, has never seen the excitement lavished uh, on the younger son, lavished on him. And so he gets offended at the father and says, what the heck? This guy, you know, wasted half of our assets. He's just been a sinner among sinners, and he comes back and you just go crazy uh, in, in love for him and celebrate him. What about me? I find it unacceptable. It's unacceptable. I feel uh, uh, offended. Uh, we've seen it in revival history. We've been talking about revival history uh, a little recently. Last week we talked about the Pentecostal revivals at the turn of the 20th century. Uh, these, these yokels in various places around the world, um, you know, rural Wales in, in, in Britain or... Uh, Azusa Street in Los Angeles, where these guys who were, you know, sort of marginally educated, socially marginalized people, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They started seeing all these supernatural manifestations and thousands upon thousands upon millions of people come to Christ as a result. And the religious establishment rejected it all and created some rifts in the church that we still see today a hundred years later. Why? Because they were the wrong people. They didn't deserve it. And frankly, they were right. They were the wrong people. They didn't deserve it. But who has realized that God always blesses people who are wrong and don't deserve it? Have you noticed that? Anyone? Yeah. Yay? You say yay unless you think you're one of the people who deserve it. And a lot of us have worked very, very hard to live righteously. And so when things don't work out the way that we expect, it's hurtful. I mean, it's a legitimate pain. It's something that's a little difficult to get our brains around. God does stuff that we don't understand. And we have to respond to it in an otherworldly fashion if we're going to get it right. Um, I get upset when, when wimpy Christians become famous and influential. One of the things that gets my goat all the time is when I see in popular culture certain Christian leaders glorified, right? They're given a national platform, a national pulpit. They go on the, the, the media outlet shows and stuff like that. And I got to admit, I think to myself, I'm not sure if he actually believes in Jesus. But he has become the national voice of Christianity. Of course, I'm offended on, on your behalf because, because I know how hard you work 
uh, to be humble before the Lord and generous and self-sacrificial and how hard you work to show kingdom precepts and the true nature of Jesus to the world. Um, yeah, it's because of you. Yes, I'm very, I'm very humble that way. Always thinking of you guys. Um, but it, it offends me and I have to wrestle with that. You know what? Don't people get it? That's the wrong person. It's the wrong person. Um, unacceptable. Uh, if you get offended by God, here are some ways in which it can manifest in your life. It can manifest as rejection of God. That's unacceptable. That is just unacceptable. Forget it, God. I'm out of here. Now, that is illogical. If there is a God, then anything he does, you kind of have to deal with it, right? Because he's a God. Uh, so getting angry at God is by definition nuts, right? You can not believe in God, right? You can believe, well, this doesn't make sense. What God has done is unacceptable. Therefore, I conclude there must not be a God. Okay, that can be logical. Wrong, but logical. What is illogical is getting angry at God. Have any of you ever gotten angry at God? I actually think that, um, that that's the satanic attitude in the universe, right? Satan does not disbelieve in God. Satan got angry at God, right? And I relate to Satan. I get it. I have been satanic in that very same fashion. It, it is powerful and destructive. Uh, atheism, not really the destructive force that anger at God is. I think the story of the universe says that, and alas, I understand it uh, rather personally. But if you're angry at God, in any case, one understands how it can shut down the flow of living water in your life, right? It can compromise uh, the trust that you have uh, in your life with Jesus, and where trust is low, where faith is low, power has a difficult time flowing. So it can manifest in rejection of God. It can also manifest in distance from God. So like you still believe in God, you accept God, you're kind of walking with God, but there are, there are certain ways in which you just can't really give yourself over to God or to the ways of God. So you find yourself not really being able to pray uh, fully or freely or consistently. Uh, one big one is you don't really worship Worship is such a big deal uh, when it comes to letting God flow in your life, which is why we had the worship retreat uh, a couple weeks uh, ago. You can't really worship. You can't really bend down before God. You can't go down on your face and say, whatever, Lord, because you don't feel it because you're offended by him. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm mad at you. I find certain things about you unacceptable. And that will rip worship right out of your life. You will become uh, a dry intellectual Christian overnight. Sometimes if you are <clears throat> offended uh, by God, you will have a measured relationship with him. And the heart of worship is a lack of calculation. Uh, so that might manifest. <clears throat> you might act out in a big way. If you are offended by God, if you're just angry at him, you've had it with him, you might just act out in, in, in sin 
You might just throw yourself at some sort of sinful, <clears throat> destructive behavior, some sort of false comfort that stems from your anger or your pain. You might go on a binge. It certainly happens. Uh, but you also might act out in a small way. And I think this happens to a lot of us. We are offended by God. It has eroded our trust in him. So we start making bargains with ourselves in life. We don't, we don't binge on sin, but we entertain small little sins, small little sinful comforts in our life because, you know, God's not really into me anyway, the way that he treats me. I may as well see to myself and see to my own comfort. And so, you know, we comfort ourselves with all manner of bizarre things, you know, uh, unforgiveness or anger or gossip. You know, we tear people down because we're projecting uh, the way we feel about God the way we think that he feels about us. Or we get into, uh, you know, stuff like pornography, which isn't, you know, like acting out in the 3D world. It's just a little sensuality that sort of keeps our flesh going day to day. And, you know, little compromises that end up just eating us away like cancer. Um, you say to yourself, I deserve this because it's not like God's going to provide for me anyway. Or you say... God doesn't think much of me anyway, so what the heck, I might as well. Little bargains we make with ourselves. That can be a manifestation of getting offended by God. And then a big one is just general hopelessness. God is offensive. What can I do? God is arbitrary. No matter how hard I work, he's going to screw me over in the end. He blesses randomly. And I guess my lot in life is not to get uh, the blessing, you know. <clears throat> it's offense. You're not going to kick God out of your life entirely. But you just become a fatalist. Instead of being faithful, you become fatal. Fatalistic. Uh, whatever. You know, you're a little bit, little bit cynical. Why try? In essence, you start believing God is God, but he's not a trustworthy God. I can't count on him to be reasonable. Therefore, things get shut down a little bit for you. Now, as I say, I've been offended a lot by God in my life. Uh, and perversely, I think the biggest reason for this in my life is because I have staked everything on God. Right. It, there aren't a lot of compromises in, me, in, in my life uh, with God. I, I have really thrown myself out there in the blue water where God is concerned. I have sacrificed some major things uh, for the sake of following Jesus and for the sake of ministering in Jesus' name. I'm, I'm out there with God. I'm out there in a lot of ways in life, some of them godly, maybe some of them not so much. But, but you know, I've, this, this is it. Right? This is my whole life. If God doesn't come through for me, I really don't have a plan B. I'm not really living with a net. And I know some of you uh, have done <coughs> the same thing. Um, I've worked faithfully for him, with him, for a long time, without compromising important kingdom virtues. And frankly, I've not had a particularly easy go of things in life. There's been a lot of frustrations, a lot of wounds, a lot of disappointments, a lot of betrayals, all that, some drama. 
uh, in my life. Therefore, I should get some proper treatment from God, right? Right? Who agrees with me that I should get proper treatment in life? <clears throat> things, things should go well. I'm, I'm, I'm qualified, you know? I've got a union card and stuff. I mean, I made it myself, but I have one. Um, but then something difficult will happen in life. Some, some unnecessary suffering will come into my life. And it's the unnecessary ones that get me. Like if I were preaching in some unreached country and, you know, and, and people started throwing stones at me or something, I would not get mad at God for that. I might get mad. That might make me grumpy. But I would not get offended at God for that because I expect that. You know, that happened to the best of them. Uh, what upsets me is when the unnecessary things happen. You know, the stuff that is in no way romantic or, or glorious. It's just a life disappointment. Or it's just, you know, something that no one else will see. No one will clap about. It just sucks. You know? God, you didn't have to do that. There is no reason for you to treat me that way. How many of you ever said that to God? How many of you are lying? Um, and, and at that moment, I am tempted to look at how I am treated by God versus how others get treated by God. And it always seems that God treats other people better. Uh, and that is unacceptable. Jesus tells a parable about this as well. The parable of the vineyard or the vineyard workers in Matthew 20. Do you guys know this one? A guy owns a vineyard and he needs people to bring in the harvest. <clears throat> so in the morning, he goes out and hires people and uh, promises to pay them a you know, a denarius or whatever for the day's work. And at midday, he doesn't have enough workers, so he goes out and he hires more people. And then right before closing time, he goes out and he hires more workers. And then at the end of the day, he brings all the workers together and he pays them. And he pays them all the identical amounts. And of course, the guys who were hired in the morning are like, wait a minute. You know, we worked for 12 hours. That dude worked for 30 minutes and you're paying him the same thing. And the vineyard owner responds, hey, you agreed to work for a day's wage and you got it. What are you complaining about? Well, it's unfair. But, but that's what we do. We get mad at God for blessing people more. Right? Even though the fact that he blesses us at all uh, should be enough. Uh, should be uh, substantial uh, in our lives. So I often feel that God is unfair and I have to work to get through that. Else it chokes off the flow of living water in my life. So here are some things that help. If you identify with any of that, here are some things that I have found helpful. And maybe you will find them helpful as well. Truths that are helpful is the way that I think about it. Because when you're struggling with a lie... And if you're offended by God, you are struggling with a lie. Then truth is the antidote. Number one, we've already mentioned this. God is hard to understand. By definition. If we understood everything about God, he would not be much of a God. He would be a software program or something. No. God is bigger than we can grasp. Otherwise, he would not be uh, divine. Um... <clears throat> he is bigger than you can grasp, just like your parents were when you were five years old. How many of parents of young children? You discipline them, or you withhold something from them, or you make them do something, and they're like, that makes no sense, Dad. 
and then you try to explain it to them, you know, this is why you have to floss your teeth at night. It just, it just hurts and it's cruel. I don't get it. And you know that you have their best interest in mind, but, but it does not compute for them. Or you don't let them get a toy or you don't let them, you know, have another half an hour of video game time. And, and they conclude that you are mean. Right? They, mom and dad, you're just being mean. That is so unfair, they say. Has anybody had that experience? Yeah. It happens. And you were the same when you were a kid. And the problem there is a difference in understanding level. <clears throat> you see life differently than your children do. And God sees life differently uh, than we do. And that's just the way it is. You have to uh, understand that about God and be willing to worship him as a result. Uh, number two, some lives are harder than other lives. Does that sound like a funny thing for me to say? This is a very helpful insight for me. Uh, I had uh, a, great, uh, a great depression, a period where I was really struggling with depression for about five years in my life to the point that um, I, I was despairing of life itself. I, I, uh, I might have preferred ending it. And a lot of difficult things happened to me uh, during those years of depression. I was having uh, a great deal of professional trouble. Uh, I, uh, I got uh, really sick with a painful thing. I ended up having to have a surgery, but it, the doctors took a long time to figure out the problem and stuff like that. But I was in constant pain for a couple of years. Um, all sorts of relational things, um, financial things. Uh, Sony and I sort of got... Uh, kicked out of a church uh, at one point, uh, rather unfairly in my opinion, and it, it, everything was going wrong. Uh, in that period, we had, <clears throat> we lost seven straight babies, we had a bunch of miscarriages, and I mean, just, it, it was just ridiculous, right? It was over the top, over the top, and I was attending this church and got together with a couple of the pastors at one point, and they were trying to talk me down from, from the ledge, right? And you're very depressed, uh, we're going to help you. And what they said to me that afternoon was, look, Jordan, everybody has pain in life. You can't get too worked up about it. And so immediately I went to that place. I was like, you, you don't. You've never experienced anything like I've experienced in your life. You, you, you're a millionaire and you were raised by a millionaire family in a posh neighborhood in Southern California. Everything has gone right for you from the beginning. Don't say that to me. I got very angry. I found it unacceptable. <coughs> and then afterward, of course, I was complaining to the Lord about it. And the Lord said two things. One, it's wrong for you to be angry. <laughs> um, it does not become you. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, two, yeah, your life is harder than theirs. And somewhere in the world is someone whose life is a heck of a lot harder than yours. Lives are just different. Therefore, there is no comparison. Meaning comes from your life in a way that is different than meaning comes uh, from my life. Don't expect others to appreciate uh, what you go through exactly. They can't. Um, your story is different than my story. If that were not true, then stories would not be meaningful at all. The thing that makes our stories, our testimonies meaningful is the fact that they're different. 
right? Uh, which brings up number three. Our testimony is the most important thing we have. Jesus was poor on earth. He was lonely. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He was disappointed. He was killed. And when the dust settled after years of ministry, he had, according to the counts, roughly 120 devoted followers. That was his church. Yeah, it's a pretty little, pretty little church. Of course, that church went on to change the entire world, but that's what he had to show for it. And this was, you know, like the Son of God, Messiah, Jesus himself. Not a very impressive story. A lot of impressive things happened in it, but a lot of difficult things as, as well. Why did God do it like that? Well, clearly, because it makes for a better story. Right? The suffering was a huge part of it. His strength is made perfect in weakness. As the Lord said to Paul, we read about in 2 Corinthians 12. The thing is, no matter how difficult or how easy your story is, it's only good if it ends with, and I trusted God. Any story can be redeemed if you append that phrase to the end of it. It was really, really hard. I was lonely. I was betrayed. I was frustrated. At the end, very few people trusted me or believed in me. And I trusted in God. Boom. Redemption. Now you have a testimony. Now you have a testimony, no matter what you've gone through. Uh, but I think as every life is different, some lives are harder than others. I think some testimonies are better than others. And the key is what makes them good. If somebody comes to me and says, in my life, everything went well and I trusted God. I'm like, ah, boring. I probably won't say that to your face. But if I'm having a grumpy day, uh, if somebody comes to me and says, everything is awful, has been awful for a long time, and I trust God, you I love, you are helpful to me. That is a testimony worth telling. There's something there that is legitimate and, and vital. That's world changing. World changing. So that's how stories work. Uh, number four. In the kingdom of God, the first shall be last and the last first. Have you heard that? Jesus said it a couple places in scripture. Mark 10 is my favorite account. The first shall be last and the last first. And what I want to say about this is, no, seriously. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. Jesus went out of his way to, to stress it. Uh, Jesus says, you know, rich, successful, popular people might not even get in. On the other hand, he says that the self-sacrificial worker who thinks he's lost everything for Jesus, might actually be at the front of the line. In other words, worldly circumstances are no indication of eternal reward. Your worldly circumstance has no, no bearing on your eternal reward. You cannot deduce the one from the other. And that's just one of the very fundamental things that, that Jesus teaches. And we should be living for eternal rewards. Don't make, don't make a big deal of your circumstances in terms of how God thinks of you. You cannot figure out how favored you are by God by looking at your worldly circumstances. I love, uh, when I was a kid, the book of Daniel was my favorite book. And I, and I, always, love, I always love that part where the angel appears to Daniel and says, you know, greetings, O favored one. And he says, like, what? What? You know, I'm, I'm miserable. My people are in exile. 
They plucked me away from my family, the Babylonians did. They castrated me. They put me to work in the king's courts. I've been serving these pagan kings. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and I'm treated as a slave. I've been fasting for weeks. I feel miserable. And you show up and say, hey, Mr. Popular, what's up with that? That's just how it is in the kingdom of God. If we know anything about how Jesus sees people, uh, we know that. Finally, life can spin on a dime. And that's one of the great things that we read about in scripture. We'll just close with this. You never know. You never know what tomorrow will bring. Moses had a difficult childhood, was raised in an Egyptian, killed a guy, spent 40 years in the desert in exile living among foreigners, and then he sees a burning bush one day randomly, and God says, all right, now you will change the world. Life can spin on a dime. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He spent the better part of 15 years just kind of hating life. And then suddenly he's in second, second in command. He goes from the prison cell to, you know, lieutenant governor overnight and ends up saving his entire people. Life can spin on a dime. And sometimes you just, you don't even know what's happening. Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet was mistreated by his people his entire life. And then his people were, were taken into captivity and his country was destroyed. We don't even know how Jeremiah's life ended. Some say he took the Ark of the Covenant and went into exile into Egypt. But they call him the weeping prophet one of the greatest prophets of all time. His legacy has blessed the world for generations, centuries and centuries now. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you, O favored one, have been selected among all the women and a sword will pierce your own heart. It will be a great disappointment to you. Um, You will watch your son die. Life can spin on a dime. Three days later, he came back to life. And then the adventure uh, really began. Uh, You could go on and on. How many stories can you think of where where things went from dark to light overnight? Or where things were really dark and yet were light inexplicably at the same time? Life can spin on a dime. Things can change for you before you leave today. One thing that can change is your perspective. So what do you do if you're defended by God? Well, you should repent. Uh, but I think the sort of repentance that God is interested in today, um, following from Jason's word, is God is looking for reconciliation with you. He's not looking for an apology from you. He just wants things to open up between the two of you. Step one, stop complaining. You have to do that to get your spirit under control. Do not complain. Your heart will follow your words, so shut your mouth. God is bigger than you are. Step two, worship. Bow down before the Lord. This is where it counts most. Worship is never quite so meaningful as when you feel offended by God. Because if you take, your, you take a knee at that point, you have really surrendered. You have really stopped calculating. And it will be magnificent and powerful in your life. Number three, forgive God for offending you. Can you forgive God? It's funny because by definition, God never does anything wrong. But here's what you can do. You can stop keeping accounts with God. That's really what forgiveness uh, means. 
Love does not keep accounts, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and some of you are holding God to account. If you hold stuff against God, then you are reducing your trust in him. Time to just throw away the ledger. Let's pray. Can I have the, uh, the communion servers come up, please? On the night before he died, Jesus took bread he was sharing with his disciples and he broke it. And he said at that last supper, uh, guys, this is my body broken for you. I'll take it and eat. Share in this sacrifice. He took the common cup of wine they were sharing and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship that God has with you. This is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink. And as often as you do these things, remember me. Remember what this is really about. I think um, the disciples were uh, on the eve of a great offense. Uh, Jesus was about to fail them. Jesus was about to get killed. Jesus was inviting them to remember how it really works. God does things that are hard to understand. He does that out of sacrifice and love. You can trust his character even if you can't understand his behavior. And in that spirit, I invite you to come up and receive the elements today. Just stand up and go to a station where you are. And, uh, and the prayer ministry team will be over on uh, the Micaiah wall. And uh, if you want to take the opportunity to get right with God today, go see them. They'll lay a hand on your shoulder and, uh, and just minister the power of the kingdom to you. Heavenly Father, we dedicate uh, this ritual to you in sincere hope of reconciliation and the full flow of living water in our lives. We often do not understand you, Lord, but we accept you and we worship you and we join with you in love and sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.